and thank you for joining us for another episode of Hope for Healthcare with Dr. Katie Cole in partnership with ICD Healthcare Network. Dr. Katie Cole is a holistic physician, organizational well-being consultant, and change agent, working with industry leaders and proven strategies to heal our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. Stay tuned to hear today's speaker. Well, welcome everyone to Hope for Healthcare. This is a podcast in which we interview expert leaders around the country on best practices for healing our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. I want to extend a very warm welcome to my colleague and friend, Dr. Diane Shannon. Dr. Shannon is a former primary care physician with more than 20 years of experience as a professional healthcare writer and author. Diane was drawn to medicine because of her mother, a certified nurse midwife. After seeing firsthand the healing power of the patient-clinician relationship, she chose to pursue medical training. However, the clinical environment in which she trained and practiced as a primary care physician was rife with chaos and antithetical to building healing relationships with patients. Dr. Shannon chose to leave clinical medicine for a writing career, understanding only years later that the underlying cause was actually professional burnout. She transitioned to a position as medical director of healthcare communications and training in a training company in Boston. She then launched her freelance writing business, Shannon Healthcare Communications. As an award-winning healthcare writer, she has crafted expert reports, focused white papers and case studies for national foundations, policymakers, and professional advocacy groups that are working to improve the healthcare system. She is also the co-author of Preventing Physician Burnout, Curing the Chaos, and Returning Joy to the Practice of Medicine that she co-authored with Dr. Paul Deschamps um, in 2016. Today, as a professional coach, Dr. Shannon also helps busy women physicians rediscover their why, improve work-life integration, and accomplish their personal and professional goals. She also works with organizations to identify and mitigate the system problems that drive attrition and burnout among women physicians. Well, welcome, Dr. Shannon. It's so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you for Thank being here. Thank you so much, Katie. I'm, I'm glad to be here. It's great to talk with you today. And for all of you, you know, Dr. Shannon and I go back several years and she's been actively involved in the burnout community and the burnout symposiums. And um, she uh, hosted a workshop recently at the burnout symposium in February. So we're, I feel very grateful and honored to have her on the podcast. Um, Diane, can you tell us a little bit about your own journey with burnout and how this led you to really embracing coaching for women physicians and working with organizations on system drivers of burnout? Right. Well, I'd say that burnout started as soon as I hit the clinical rotations in medical school, like just that the, the shock of it not being at all what I expected and seeing the cracks in the system. And that was even more evident when I was in training. I think probably the worst physical and um, emotional psychological symptoms of burnout were during residency, probably that internship year. Um, you know, uh, this was before there were hour restrictions and it was just, it really took a toll. Uh, but when I think back, it was my concern about patient safety issues that really caused a lot of stress and I think was one of the key drivers of burnout for me. Um, just looking around and seeing places where I knew things were gonna fall through the cracks, where things 
weren't more reports weren't going to get back where patients might be, um, sorry, let me say that again. Um, I could see the places where items would fall through the cracks, communication, referrals, all sorts of pieces that need to happen reliably that weren't. Mm -hmm. And I saw myself and my peers doing all sorts of workarounds because we all knew that these things were not reliable, that the systems weren't reliable. And so that caused a tremendous amount of stress for me. And just that kind of questioning of like, wait a second, what about the patient clinician relationship? And there were so many factors and obstacles to creating that relationship and having that be primary. And I think I felt really disillusioned as well. So I did push myself to finish. I finished training. I took my internal medicine boards. I practiced for uh, three and a half years. But all the while I was thinking, is this, is this really what medicine is? Is this, is this how it's going to be? And even though the worst of the burnout was better by then, by the time I chose to leave, I thought the only options I can see are burning out again or leaving. And one of the things that I want to do, one of my missions is to help other physicians who are in that space of burnout, disillusionment, frustration, to see all the options. Because I think there are more options than we believe, and I definitely did not see them at the time. I was thinking it's either this or it's this, that's all there is. Right, absolutely. And just to give us a little bit of context, what year did you decide to transition into medical writing and leave clinical medicine? So that was, 1996. Okay. So you're talking about the fact that there were system drivers of burnout and breakdown of community and all of those, those things were happening and the patient clinician relationship was being, you know, in danger as well, way back in the nineties. So it was already happening. Right. Okay. Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. Really important because I think a lot of people think it was just COVID that caused and no, that's a lot of, you know, unfortunately, I think that <laughs> it goes way back before um, even Absolutely. it goes way back. And I would say even when we were using paper charts, we were thinking, um, you know, nowadays with with the EHR, we say, oh, my gosh, that that's a huge cause of burnout. And it is. There were other problems back then. And this was also before there was the real recognition of the impact of uh, medical errors. The IOM report that was so influential had not come out yet. So we were not thinking about the system and how the system impacts errors. We were thinking, it's my fault. If there's a mistake, it's the individual who's made the mistake, which is very parallel to what we do with burnout. We think, oh, it's that individual. We just need to address and help that individual when actually Burnout is a reflection of what's going on around the individual in terms of stressors, inefficiencies, lack of fairness, lack of community, all of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we know that 80% of drivers of burnout are related to system, not individual factors. But, right. but what I love about what you do, Diane, is that you address all of that in your coaching with the systems and women physicians. And we'll get into that a little bit. Yes. Um, yeah. All right. Well, um, so 
I'm curious, when did it dawn on you that there were solutions and there were ways to make um, a healthcare setting work for yourself? When did you start getting into that phase of coaching? Well, let's see. I, I spent many years writing and avoiding my thoughts about my clinical practice that I left. So in other words, I carried the shame about leaving and feeling it was reflective of a weakness in me. I, I carried that narrative for many years. And it wasn't until I was writing um, a story that was about the connection between physician well-being and patient experience mm. and patient experience scores that I came across the definition of um, professional burnout. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's a name for what I experienced. I had no idea. I just, I literally thought it was, I couldn't hack it. I had to leave. That's all there is to it. I didn't understand all of the system factors that went into that level of stress mm -hmm. and my, eventually my decision to leave. And so really it was first understanding, oh, there's this problem and let me understand more about the drivers. And so what I started to do at that point after I finished writing that article was I started collecting data and information about burnout among physicians. And I decided to put it in a PowerPoint because that was an easy place to collect images and um, thoughts and URLs and all of that in one place. And I was working on obviously like creating a presentation even though I didn't have anywhere I was meaning to speak. And I was working at a coffee shop one day and someone came up to me and said, I saw your screen. Are you, are you, are you working on physician burnout? And I said, yes. And she said, well, I'm a physician and I burned out. Can I talk to you? And that, you know, helped me to understand this is a really widespread problem. And, um, and going back a little bit farther, there was a point where I decided to share my story about burnout and leaving medicine. And it took a lot of pushing on the part of my coach to say, no, Diane, this is not a shameful thing. This is actually an act of courage to have created a career that now works for you. I eventually did that. And that it was a piece that appeared on Common Health, which is um, a web page of the NPR National Public Radio affiliate here in Boston. And that was in 21, no, sorry, 2011. And that, it, I was shocked by the response. There were 26,000 views in a week. And this was before social media had really taken off. Um, and physicians started contacting me and telling me their stories. And I realized this is huge. and this is something I really care about. And so that was a pivot for me to say, this is now what I'm focusing my career on. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for discovering that <laughs> on behalf of all of us women physicians and, uh, and your clients. Thank you for, for pivoting your career and doing the work you're doing. Um, you know, there have been a lot of conversations at the conferences. I know you and I have talked about how it can be challenging, you know, to, to work in a system that we know is toxic and is not efficient and, and leading to burnout. 
and also having individual mindset and action steps of what we can be doing as women physicians. How, how do you help your um, physicians understand that concept and hold a space for both systems, one that's current and one that could be changing based on how you behave? Right. Such an important um, point. Um, and what I'll say is just to back up a second, the reason that I focus on women physicians is my noticing at the beginning of the pandemic that the gender disparity rates in physician burnout, which have always been higher in women, right? Those rates began to increase even more. So the disparity between genders increased even more. And I thought, what is going on with women physicians that they are experiencing these very high level levels of burnout? So that's when I began to do more research and really look into what are the other factors that are driving this, this change? Mm -hmm. um, I do work with, uh, with men as well. But a lot of what I've been thinking about lately is just this curiosity about what is this? What's causing this? And what I would say in terms of this, it's very interesting interface between the system issues that we know drive burnout and the individual factors and the individual responsibility. And so it can be a tricky place to have conversations because if you make the mistake of talking only about the individual responsibility, mindset, thought patterns, um, behavior, you run the risk of really angering people because they are working in a larger health, like the US healthcare system, which is has a lot of inefficiencies and perhaps their organization, which also does. So I start by acknowledging those that, that fact that we are in a healthcare system, the US healthcare system, which is inefficient, which has lots of challenges, which could be so much better, which was not de designed in a kind of proactive way. It was kind of patched together over decades, you know, how we function in the healthcare system. And then within an organization, yes, you know, as there are even more stresses now than there were five years ago in terms of productivity pressure, how long you have to see patients, your compensation being based on RVUs and therefore directly tied to how fast you produce something. Yeah. And I think all of those kind of those factors play such a big role. So I start by acknowledging that saying, yes, this is true. Let's validate your experience. And what if there was a place where you did have agency, wouldn't it make sense to focus there? The other part is that until physicians have the bandwidth to be able to join in and participate in changing some of the practice level and system level you know, um, inefficiencies, uh, they, they can't be there, they can't help, they can't participate. So first it's getting your head above water right? If you're just going through the day trying to survive that day, you don't have the bandwidth to identify and help fix some of the problems. And we need physicians to do that because they are at the front lines. They know what the problems are. Absolutely. Well, and I, and I feel like that is actually a really big issue in terms of why physicians aren't developing as as leaders, because we're just showing up every day and, you know, we're just trying to get through the day. If we have 35 patients on our schedule, I mean, we're, we're just trying to not 
get home, you know, after 7 p.m. so we can see our families and have dinner. And so we're in survival mode and to think about, oh, let's have a meeting on the flow of how things could go differently. Uh, there just isn't time for that. We're not paid to take time to think, to critically think about how we could improve the frontline process. So those yes. are a lot of, I think, inhibiting factors. I think that's where coaching can come in and be really helpful. Absolutely. And I always start with folks, you know, I'm thinking about particular um, clients that I've worked with, where sometimes we have to start with the brass tacks. Like, mm -hmm. what does your day look like? How many hours are you spending on the EHR? And then where could you try a very small experiment of change? Mm -hmm. And um, there are resources that I suggest to them, depending on what the problem is, what the inefficiency is, but really starting with, look, let's look at your time and energy. Where are they being spent? Because you can't start really do, diving in and doing some deep coaching about what you want until you have a moment to do that. So we start with trying to let's look at your week and create some space for you where you can begin to do some of that critical thinking. Well, that's foundational. <laughs> I, I think that makes a big difference. And you've told stories about physicians who um, have really been able to make a difference and have more quality time at home with their family. And I, so I think that I think that's really important because a lot of times as physicians, we don't think that there's a better way. You right. know, we're, we're like, this is how it is. I don't, how are you going to change this? the fact that I have 35 patients and 35 notes to write and one MA today and we're understaffed. Like, how are you going to, how is this going to be fixed in coaching? But there are a lot of things that you can do, um, I think, to improve your day, your flow, your efficiency. Um, so. Right. And we're, we're always going to have bad days, right? They're, we're not going to have perfect days. But one of the things I, I think about is going upstream. So taking a little bit of time, and this is where it's tricky because in the moment when you're just trying to survive, taking a little bit of time. And by going upstream, I mean looking at what could you prevent from coming to you in the first place. For example, um, maybe your the policy about uh, messages being CC'd in the EHR. Maybe that could be changed. So you're not getting CC'd all the time. Or maybe there's a way someone could be triaging some of those patient portal messages so that the ones that have to do with scheduling an appointment never get to you, right? So how can you decrease some of that extra work? Um, and it might be creating you know, dot phrases or macros or other things within the EHR so that your day eventually becomes more efficient. It does take time in the moment, right? To go upstream and find those things and make those changes, but it pays off over time. Mm -hmm. Well, Diane, how do you how you how do you coach your women physicians on advocating for themselves? Like once they've gotten to that point where they have more critical thinking time at work and they're feeling like they have a rhythm going now with more of work-life integration, then how do what are the next steps? Right. So next steps in terms of like looking at what are some of the, the pebbles in the shoe? Like, let's look at what some of them are. Mm -hmm. Are there any that you could address yourself? Great. Right. And some of that's going upstream. Some of that is changing, making different choices in your own life about where you're spending your time and energy. Are you delegating at home, at work? Are you hiring help for home? 
Um, are you choosing to uh, help out with others at your own expense and always putting yourself last, right? So there's it's kind of some mindset boundary setting to, that we can do. In terms of the things that you identify that are pebbles in the shoe that you can't change on your own, that's where I work with folks about communicating with whoever is at that next level of decision-making. And we go through um, some tips about how to communicate, um, things like make sure that at the moment you just, you're going to have this conversation, that it's a good setup in terms of your emotional, you know, where you are emotionally, like don't go in hot and heavy, um, really thinking about coming with a particular problem, understanding of what's causing it, potential solution, and really understanding from that decision maker's side, what are the benefits to them of your request? Either to them, to your peers, to patients, to the department, to the clinic, right? So you're really thinking beyond just, here's something that annoys me, fix it. You're coming with more than that. You're coming with a solution and really trying to understand where they're coming from, like what's in it for them. And that can take a little doing. Um, I also work with folks on scripting. So they have some words ready when they go into these meetings and then doing some mindfulness practice right before they go in so that they're at a, a more grounded place before having some of these difficult conversations. Absolutely. And, you know, Diane, one of the books that I read in my coaching program with Dr. Elsie Coe was Crucial Conversations. And, you know, even as a psychiatrist, you, know, you would think that I had all this training and navigating difficult conversations. But when it comes to, your, to pay, you know, for me, when I would get hot and heavy at work, even as a leader, it would come down to a patient quality of life or patient safety. So that's when I would find myself getting very reactive in the emergency room setting, like, what are we doing? Oh, my gosh. And so what I really learned through that aspect of coaching was, you know, learning how to respond versus react and taking a moment because, you know, nobody is going to hear what I'm saying if, if it's an acute issue for patient safety in an ER setting or whatever, you know, your tone of voice, how you approach, you know, if you're yelling at the nurse in front of your staff versus saying, hey, can we meet, you know, in the next couple of hours, I just want to talk to you about it. Um, an idea I have that came up with a patient today and making it more about a collaboration. So um, that really changed how I practiced and how I led. Um, and a lot of physicians, I think, feel like they already are excellent communicators to begin with, but I feel like we always have more to learn in that department. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great example. And I think, like you said, to be able to respond, not react. And I'm someone who I used to really not get mindfulness, like the practice of mindfulness. And then during the pandemic, I was introduced to a practice that I found I could fit into my life and it's very small bursts of mindfulness. And it really does make a difference. And I, I am definitely a supporter of it now. Absolutely. Um, well, I, you know, I want to go back to, um, the women physicians and how you've noticed there have been an increase in exodus of healthcare for them. One of the recent uh, stats that I have is that about um, 
40% of women physicians cut back or leave medicine within six years of post-grad training. I don't know if that's been updated, but that is a huge number, Diane. And that, that's really scary. Yes. Because we're over half of medical school population now. That's right. That's right. And we and the added to that is the fact that now baby boomer physicians are beginning to retire, right? Mm -hmm. So we are looking at a paucity of physicians coming in the future. And we it, it's already here, actually. And, and a lot of regions in the country, it's very hard to find a physician within a reasonable distance. Um, but yes, those statistics are really alarming. And I, what I have seen in my work, both interviewing women physicians um, for the white paper that I wrote a few years ago, and then also with the, all the clients that I've worked with, there are very um, understandable reasons for that cutting back, for that 40%. And when you think about it, um, you know, that early, those early years after finishing training, are so critical and are so stressful as you are leaving the protection of having an attending over you. And then you are on your own, wherever that is. You've become an attending or you're in private practice somewhere or in a group setting. So that's one piece is just, you are starting your career as an independent physician, right? On your own in a way. And that's stressful. That is coinciding with the same time that many women physicians are having children. And there's that level of stress that goes with that. And what I have found over and over again, again, with the physicians I've worked with and in the literature is that a huge difference is how we are socialized in terms of gender roles in this country. So that it is still the case that women tend to have more of the tasks in terms of the household and childcare. And even if the, their, their partner is doing some of the tasks, they may not be holding the cognitive load. So who is it in the family who's remembering that the kids need dental appointments mm -hmm. right? and scheduling them and you know, finding the time to take them? So who is doing all the logistical part? Generally, it has been women. And women physicians are much more likely to have a partner who works full time than male physicians are. So there's already that discrepancy and women tend to be the ones to then fill in the gap there. Also, women physicians make less than male physicians. It's still about 74 cents on the dollar. And so because of that, and part of that, a piece of that has to do with what specialties people go into, which are more um, highly reimbursed. But there's also, even with that adjusting for that, there is still a difference. And so in a two physician household during COVID, when one parent needed to stay home for virtual kindergarten, it made more sense financially for the woman physician to cut back and stay home. And so I have seen that play out as well. So Diane, what, did, what advice do you have for women physicians who are graduating residency and building a family and just getting ready to, to you know, embark on you know, being an attending and being in the real world right now? What advice do you have for them? Instead of just saying, you know what, I'm quitting, 
I'm just going to go find a part-time job or do something different. How can we keep women physicians in healthcare? Well, I will start first by saying I, I talk about a paradigm shift for organizations and organizational leaders. And that is to go from let them sink or swim, which is kind of how we do it in medicine, right? To what do we need to do to retain women physicians? That changes, that change in mindset opens up all sorts of doors and opportunities to support people better. And this is where it's really thinking about true equity, which is allowing each person to have the resources they need to do their best work, right? So for example, a woman, woman physician returning after leave, uh, parental leave, having her first child. So she's, uh, it, it's difficult to go back to work after having your first child anyway, right? All you have a newborn who's up every two, three hours, you're breastfeeding, you're having to return and, and pick up where you left off. So what do we do to support women as they return, as they make that transition back? There are some organizations where you have to make up the call that you missed. So not only pick up call, but make up for all the call that you missed while you were away. Mm -hmm. And there's but less RVUs for breast for pumping breast milk at work. And a lot of times there's no place to do it anyway. <laughs> so all those pieces, right? And there you are as a new parent. So I'd say, put yourself in the shoes of that woman. Would you cut back? Probably because you're stressed out, you have a newborn, you're not sleeping and you're frustrated. So I think it makes sense. And so that's where I ask, you know, what could organizations be doing if they took on that mindset of what do we need to do? And not think about it as everybody gets the same resources, but what resources does each person need to be there and show up and do their best work? Mm -hmm. And also, you know, if you think about it, there is a very limited time that, for example, women physicians who are breastfeeding would be breastfeeding their child, right? It's generally six, 12 months, something like that. Can the organization step up during that period of time of additional stress and need and therefore develop a employee who is going to be much more loyal and much more likely to be working full time or not cutting back or leaving your organization, right? So it's ta we're talking about investing in your people mm -hmm. so that you have a vibrant physician workforce. And so turning it then to the individual, I think a big part is really thinking about conversations with your partner and understanding that the cognitive load you carry drains energy and you need to share that as well. There's a great book called Fair Play by Eve Rodsky. Okay. And the, the caution I give all of my, uh, the physicians I work with before reading it is, read the whole book before you try to implement anything. But it really goes through, what are all the tasks that you have in your household? And seeing each one is discrete and then dividing them up in a very intentional way 
between the two partners, the two adults in the family, in that household. And so if you take a, a, a task, you have the whole task, the remembering, the scheduling, the doing, the follow-up, scheduling the next appointment, all that stuff you hold, right? Rather than women just assuming all of that cognitive load just automatically by default. So I think that that's a big one. And also really um, looking at the guilt that you feel when you spend time on yourself, mm -hmm. right? We as women and as physicians tend to put other people first and feel that we don't deserve that extra time for ourselves, but we need it. We absolutely need it, especially when we have that extra cognitive load impact um, with the home environment and the work environment as well. Um, we manage our patients differently. We have a different thought process in terms of managing our day. And, and sometimes it can take us longer to see patients. Our notes tend to be longer. Uh, so when you add in even the shadow work behind the scenes that goes on for women, it's at a different level than men many times. So um, I completely agree with that. Absolutely. And there's the data. I don't know if you've seen this recently, but women physicians get more messages from oh. patients and from staff. So there are more messages to address as well. Absolutely. Um, well, Diana, I want to touch on the book that you wrote with Dr. Paul Deshaunt. This is everyone. Oh, sorry. This is blurry because I had my field blur. There, there we go. go. <laughs> but it's called uh, uh, Preventing Physician Burnout. Um, and this book was written in 2016. And I know that you and Paul talked about, you know, maybe updating it. And you realized that there was no need to update it because it was so accurate. And it was based on, you know, our guiding principles behind the driver system drivers of burnout, which I think is great. And I was wondering if you could give us a, a few highlights that you learned or some top advice that you would give to leaders in healthcare today. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I want to say it was such a joy to write this book with Paul. We spent 15 months and we interviewed something like 65 experts and physicians with burnout, researchers in the field. And really, it was an educational experience. And I think that the biggest takeaway was over and over and over again, it was hammered into our, into our brains that burnout is a systems issue that it is a reflection of what's going on around the, the individual, the, the, um, the worker. Um, and so really understanding what are some of those drivers, you know, we did include the individual as well, right? Because it, the individual who comes to work in a, in a better place is going to be more likely to have some resilience uh, um, with whatever unexpected stresses happen at work. Right. So there's some reality there to the individual, but so much of it is what's going on in the organization, um, especially leadership and the culture of the organization. And then also what's going on outside of the organization. So the external factors that put pressure on the organization, and that includes, you know, differing patient demographics, um, differing patient expectations, the fact that there has been so much animosity that's been brought into the exam room, right? 
um, all of those changes in it, and, and also everything related to how we pay for healthcare in this country, to regulations and policies that then the organization um, that affect the organization and often gets transferred down to the individual physician. So really understanding where that's all coming from and what's happened over the past decades that burnout is at its highest levels ever among physicians. Well, and even with executive leaders, the Whit Kiefer survey that came out this spring showed that 74% of executive healthcare leaders have symptoms of burnout. Yes. Right. So it's it's affecting everyone in the system, right? Everyone. It is. is. Yeah. Well, is there any, um, I know we're winding down. Is there any last message that you want to leave with our audience today, Diane? I know we've covered quite a bit today. Yes. I think what I would say is I wish back then when I was in that very despairing, uncertain, confused place, I wish I had had the support of a mentor, a coach, a teacher, faculty, someone I could have trusted to say, hey, I'm having trouble. I could really use a different perspective or some support. And I think that might have given me more options. I would have seen more options for for where I went next rather than just two, which was stay, burn out, leave. And that's, I think, the message that I would share is there are more options than you may be seeing right now. And seeing those, having some support, whether it's a coach, a mentor, someone to give you a little more perspective could really help you to move from feeling stuck and trapped to seeing all your options and feeling empowered. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, and that's what helped me. I mean, I've almost left healthcare probably five times in my career, to be honest. And um, I'm still here today because of the coaching and mentoring I've had. And, you know, I'm, I'm also very stubborn and I don't like to give up too easily. And it kind of gets me in trouble at times. And I might be a little bit too loyal at times, but, um, you know, I I appreciate the mentoring I've had. And, and I've learned so much, especially the past few years on solutions for burnout and, and how to advocate on the front line and who you can reach out to. So I think, Diane, you're a great resource for everyone. And, and um I hope that anyone listening today is really thinking about this. And if you're a female physician and and you're actually on the edge and you're thinking of leaving your position and you're feeling hopeless, just know that there's a group of us nationally and we're we're really trying to make change in healthcare and um, that, you know, Diane is definitely a great resource for you as well. So Diane, how can everyone reach out to you? Probably the best way is just to email me. Diane at dianeshannon.com. Very simple. Um, I'm also on social media on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, and you can find my website as well. But I, I'm also just happy to talk with people and hear their stories and really offer whatever kind of support I can in the moment. So please be, be feel free to contact me. Okay. And for everyone listening today, of course, we'll have Diane Shannon's information on her bio bio page on my website and we'll have links including the books that we referenced today as well for you all uh well thank you so much for being on the podcast again today shannon i 
Diane Shannon, <laughs> I really uh, appreciate your honesty, your authenticity, your wisdom. Um, I appreciate your dedication to our community and everything that you're doing for both male, female physicians, our healthcare workforce, and our leaders as well. So thank you. Um, you know, they said they were going to be testing that. Did they say that today? Where did I hear that? Yeah, mine just went oh off gosh. too. Did yours go off too? And I have like three cell phones in my office. <laughs> yeah, they, they said that they, where did I read this? Something this morning, I got a message that they might be testing. Uh, okay. Um, okay, I'm going to redo the wrap up then, especially because I called you Shannon. <laughs> it happens. It's all right. I am so sorry about that. Okay. <clears throat> um, well, in wrapping up today, I want to thank you, Dr. Diane Shannon, for being here on the podcast and really going through details of your own history, your own path, and how you're working with both men and women physicians, as well as, you know, healthcare leaders in terms of you know, working on turnover and reversing burnout. I think everything that you have said today is very important, especially the message at the end about, you know, don't feel stuck and that there are people here for you. And even if you have that frame of mind that there are no options, there are always options to consider. So I really liked how you ended um, that messaging today. Great, thank you so much for having me, Katie. It's really been fun to talk. Oh, it's been a great discussion and I look forward to future discussions with you too, Diane. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Take care, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and we'll have all of our information on social media as well as Diane's bio page on the website. Thank you.